0: Now prison life is very structured, more most people care for.
1: But there's a spirit of camaraderie that exists between the men, like you find only in combat, maybe, or on a pro ball club in the heat of a peanut draft. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 77, and we are in the final week of Palooza 2020. We are recording this on August 30th. It's still August, so it's still Nick Cage month. This week's movie was Raising Arizona, and to join me in watching it, someone who had never seen it before, Joe Hood. Joe, how you doing? I am doing well. Thank you for having me, Travis. Absolutely. Thank you for coming back uh, your second time on, and the second movie I found that you hadn't seen. So you hadn't seen Raising Arizona before. Were you familiar with it at all? You know, it was one of
0: those movies that I thought I had seen. Like I remember people talking about it. I remember it being part of the world. I am a child of the 80s, so it was something I I knew, but um, yeah, nope. Turns out, I had never seen it. Like,
1: just... Totally, totally just thought I had. <laughs> so, okay, so this 1987 is when this movie came out and is written and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. So, you got Joel and Ethan Cohen working with a young Nicolas Cage. Um, what could go wrong there? I mean, that's that's like a recipe for greatness, and honestly, it is. Like, I love this movie. Um, so this was their second film. This was the Cohen brothers second movie after uh, their debut was 84 and it was called blood simple. And it's a very different tone. If you've ever seen blood simple, that's a much darker movie. It's got kind of the characters are pretty dark and not, not all that sympathetic. This movie is definitely not that like it's a very light tone. Um, I just, I just love this movie, Nick cage. So there's, there's varying versions of Nicolas cage, right? You have, and this this year for August, we've watched mostly movies where he's fairly dialed back. Um, Lord of War, uh, Pay the Ghost was one that I watched that I had never seen or heard of before. Even Ghost Rider, um, for the most part, he's fairly, like, he doesn't ever go as far Nick Cage as you would think he would in something like that. You were saying that it's um, a dialed back Nicolas Cage
0: in a lot of the other movies? I'm intrigued where this feels to you dialed up because I don't know that I would say high is a dialed up character in energy and like the spastic comical Nick cage, like the over top Nick cage that comedians make fun of, but he's definitely out there. Yeah, no, you're, you're right about that for sure. I mean, my take on the whole movie, um, each of the characters and, and the, just the whole plot line is it's, there's there's an absurdity to it. Like everything's just a little bit, not quite bonkers. Like not, not over the top absurd,
1: but just like this seems a little weird. No, so this is a weird. Like this has a weirdness to it that I didn't notice until I was watching it this time. Just it feels like it takes place in our world, but like a a, a stylized version of that. With even the the whole chase scene was the one that really got me. Right, because it starts Which out at the, the at the convenience store. And then he gets chased down the street and he's jumping through fences and he ends up in that uh, supermarket. And the entire time he's being chased by the same police officer who is just firing wildly the entirety Mm -hmm. of the chase. Like from the moment that that cop car shows up, that guy is hanging out the window of the cop car, firing bullets at him uh, with no questions and then it, it ends up being the the guy working at the supermarket shooting at him with a shotgun, and it, it's so absurd and ridiculous that like you almost kind of look past it being absurd and just sort of accept and the pack it. Of dogs,
0: yeah. Right? All of a sudden, the one dog turns for no reason, for no evidence. There are now six dogs that chase him through the supermarket. That yeah, yeah. Absolutely, there's there's a lot of that. There's a lot in this. If you think about too much, you
1: just lose. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Don't don't overthink this movie, and you'll have a great time with it. Because what it is, and what the Co- the Coen Brothers do, such a good job of this of of creating these worlds that feel like they're our world, but then there's something weird about them. Um, mm-hmm. Big Lebowski does this kind of same thing, where it's like it takes place in early '90s L.A., but there's something that doesn't feel real about it, almost like it just. And this movie has that same thing that you you can tell. The time frame is supposed to be that late 80s, um, mid to late 80s. I can tell by the wood paneling in their trailer, the type of TV they've got, um, the type of commercial that Nathan, Arizona is doing is something that I remember seeing those local, you know, unpainted furniture store type commercials. But then you have a scene like that where it's just these weird things happen and you just sort of run with it. Like the dogs was a great one because that one dog's chasing him and then you see a second dog. Next thing you know, it's a whole pack of them and they're just running through the same house that the, the cop is chasing him through. Like all of that is just so silly and, and out there, but man, is it fun too.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, it's funny because I was trying to, uh, early on, I think I was thinking too much and trying to place it with other movies and figure out where, you know, what was I being overly critical about? What was I willing to forgive? And a few weeks back we watched better off dead. We made our kids watch better off dead. And I realized like, uh, that's another, you know, that's another movie where I'm completely trained to forgive all the silliness in that. Yeah. Like, and uh, this is, a similar it's not the same it's a different level but the sort of incoherence and randomness that popped up in Better Off Dead and I think a lot of other 80s comedy shines through in this uh, in this movie
1: yeah I definitely think so I mean you could even look at something like uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and if you take if you don't think about that movie too much in terms of like how it would be in the real world and just accept the world that they're giving you it makes the movie so much more uh, enjoyable. And that's, I think, with Raising Arizona, kind of what you have to do. You have to sort of, you have to look at it like, okay, this is the world that Joel and Ethan Cohen have created and we're going to go with it. Like there's no, you don't get any of the nuts and bolts of how John Goodman and William Forsyth, Gail and Evel escape from prison. They just got out and here they are and no one's looking for them apparently. But one guy... Like, there's one scene where anybody is looking for the two of them, and then that's it. So mm-hmm. you just sort of accept that. Uh, you know, this is a world yep. where you've got Randall Tex Cobb. for a second there. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Because You brought it up, and I want to
0: call out the... It was right after the baby was stolen, and then we saw the birth of John Goodman. Yes. <laughs> and as I was laughing about, oh, my word, this is the birth of John Goodman, he literally takes his partner in crime and yanks him out of the dirt like a baby coming out of the womb (laughs) that is one of those things that made me go yes the coen
1: brothers are geniuses yeah and and to think this was their second feature film and they're already getting you know little things like that that you could easily watch this movie and not catch that whole illusion right there to to birth and Mm -hmm. right after the baby is caught but yeah that's a great pickup that's a that's awesome and and on top of that, like, that whole scene is just silly because there's no dialogue. It's just John Goodman screaming in the rain oh, yeah. covered in mud, uh, which I loved him in this. So let's talk a little bit about the cast. We talked a bit about Nick Cage, and one of the things I said was we've been seeing a more restrained Nick Cage this year. Last year for Nick Cage Month, I watched Vampire's Kiss, which that's like Nick Cage turned up to 12. Mm-hmm. This one for me was a more, a closer to sort of the Nick Cage that I want to see kind of have. Um, he doesn't quite go full on freak out, full on crazy Nick Cage, but you see bits of it. And the way he plays his character is really interesting. For one, his hair does about, I would say a third to a half of the acting in the movie because his hair is insane. I did read a piece of trivia that said that part of that was by design, like his hair would get more and more out of whack, the more stress he was under. So any of the scenes where his hair starts going crazy, it's when he's knocking over the the convenience stores. Um, And then you'll see him in prison when things are calmed down, his hair's fine. And then you'll see a scene of him where he's running from somebody and his hair's going crazy again. So that hair was something else. Um, But, what I liked about him in this was he's playing a character who sounds just dumber than a bag of hammers, right? He just, he sounds like he has no clue about anything, but then there'll be a scene like when he's talking to Glenn in the kitchen and Glenn's trying to tell him the Pollock joke. And it, of course it's not going that well. And you can see that like, hi, H I knows it's not a funny joke and he's even calling him out on it. And then he says something else. Um, what was the other thing he said? Oh, and then he's talking about uh, adopting the baby. And you get this like really uh, really good point where he's like, look, it's about favoritism. It's about who you know. Ed knows somebody. And, and it's like, oh, this guy's actually not unintelligent. He just doesn't have direction in the world. And so that was kind of a cool character to see him play. So, and, and then on top of that, you get uh, a few moments like him staring into the mirror when he's shaving is a very mm-hmm. Nick cage moment because he's just got that like a thousand yard stare up through his eye you know through his eyebrows type of thing or uh, some of the crazy camera angles they would use the whole scene with him and the five babies uh, cracked me up the whole time I I was
0: a little that was early on right very early scene mm-hmm. I, that was one of the points where I had not yet fully immersed myself in the movie like how did he get into the house what is he doing why like how where's the challenge why is he like i couldn't like i was asking why so many times (laughs) um but it was like the the cinematography was really curious and interesting the angles now that you bring it up there was lots of the baby perspective trying to figure out what's going on um uh it was it when actually thinking back to it by the time of that chase scene you mentioned, I realized the whole thing, it was a, a farce and not just a comedy, but like a very specific kind of comedy of errors where errors just pile on top of each other. Um, yes. And that's what that scene was as well. That was, you know, farcical. That was silly. That was like your job is to go in and take one baby and instead you take all the babies out <laughs> and chase them around and then put them back and go
1: back and tell your wife that I, I, you know. I just can't do it. Right. Um. Yeah, no, it is, a, it is a farce. And I think the way they shot it was really interesting to do because they had a lot of extreme camera angles and a lot of weird camera movements. And I did read where the, the shot of the camera coming up towards uh, Florence, Arizona, the mother, where she's screaming mm-hmm. when she finds out the baby is missing. According right. to the trivia, that is an homage to The Evil Dead, which Joel Cohen was an assistant director on. He was friends with Sam Raimi. Mm-hmm. And like they all uh at one point, I think it, what was it? It was Joel and Ethan Cohen were living with Francis McDormand and I think Holly Hunter lived with them and Sam Raimi or something like that. So you know, it's just sort of a weird little commune. But I I love some of those camera shots. I love those low angle shots in the hallways and, and all the stuff that was along the road, like when uh when Leonard Smalls is riding his motorcycle um, and all those kinds of shots, those are just really cool. So, you know, I love seeing stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's very farcical. And, and I think Nicholas Cage works for that because he can, there's something about his, his facial expressions where he can look vacant and yet, you know, mm-hmm. something's going on at the same time. Granted the hair helps. Cause I mean, <laughs> again, the hair was just going crazy, but his eyes, his, his, right. he can bug his eyes out so well. Um, and then you put him in a movie with Holly Hunter, which, you know, I'm never going to complain about seeing Holly Hunter in anything. And she's done (laughs) Coen brothers stuff before. She's great in this, I think, because she, she doesn't have a lot of range to her character, but in that sort of looking at it as a farce and looking at it and in the world and through the lens of the Coen brothers, you get a lot of those types of characters that are, they're two dimensional yet. They don't. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Like it's two-dimensional, but it's not in a bad way. They're just they're there. Plus, nobody plays a Disgruntled Spouse like Holly Hunter. <laughs> like you know you're in the doghouse with her.
0: Uh, you know, it's interesting when you say they're two-dimensional, but not in a bad way, because that's one of the things that I found uh, challenging and at one point was feeling like they're like I I was what's the why? Like I don't understand What's going on for this character or that character and really looking for a little more depth. And again, when I sort of gave myself permission to not worry about it, the interplay was hysterical. The scenes like the chase, the chase scene at the convenience store, convenience store, the bank robbery chase scene. And there was one more of those scenes where I realized it was, um, oh, the fight scene in the trailer. Like those were beautiful send ups of classic Action moments, yeah. Um, and then I realized the characters here were just there to serve. Maybe what it was is the the characters weren't there to really serve the plot. The character and plot were there to serve the cinematic vision of we're gonna we're gonna do you know some really cool moments and bring these people in to help pu- pull those moments together. Um, yeah,
1: no, yeah, I think th- I think that's a good way to look at it.
0: Um, you know, it's funny. Speaking of that, one of the things that I noted um, and part of it, I think might be just that this was a time machine back to the eighties. Uh, the title card was 11 minutes in. Yeah. Yeah. 11 minutes before they f- flashed the title of the movie up, um, which is one of those things I have become so aware of pacing. Mm hmm. Um, oh, and, totally. Yeah. Uh, and movies from that long ago that don't, I mean, and pacing now is like you know, 4,000 miles on ADD kind of pacing. Like everything's gonna go boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And the, I mean, they let this thing breathe out and it wasn't even, I mean, it's
1: like a 90 minute runtime. It's not like it was long. No, it's a very uh, quick movie and the pacing to it uh, doesn't make it feel overly long or short. Like it felt like about about that length I think Mm -hmm. some of that is just the like you're saying where it's not a plot to move a plot along and it's not it's it's characters and a story to serve just sort of like uh, an idea and it's this idea of we're going to show you what this world looks like and sort of the life of this one man and and I think that helps the pacing some too um, I was just looking up one of the the character of Nathan Arizona was played by Trey Wilson, and I swear that he was in um, City Slickers, but it's not him.
0: Oh no, huh?
1: Who I'm thinking of is Noble Willingham. Was in City Slickers. He was the guy that kind of owned the um, the cattle that they were driving. Okay. He reminds they yep. they remind me of each other because they both have that same sort of Texas. Texas accent and say a lot of those uh, a lot of those little one-liners um, that you get a lot of those kind of southern quips. But I swore the entire time I was watching this that I'm like, no, that's the dude from City Slickers. Nope, it's not. In fact, Trey Wilson sadly uh, passed away a couple years after this movie. He was only uh, he was only in his forties. Hmm. He was forty. In fact, he was exactly forty. But he's from Houston, Texas. Uh, I liked him as Nathan Arizona. I thought he was fun for the short period of time he was got to be on screen
0: yeah it was a it was a fun character actually i realized early on that i was uniquely qualified to talk about this movie because i worked in an unpainted furniture store at one point out of college (laughs) i did i worked in one of those places where you taught people how to stain their own furniture and you sold them raw wood furniture oh yeah um which was very comical and just um
1: just watching his character Made me crash back to my youth. Did um, uh, did you ever get to do any commercials like he did, where it was like the obvious green screen stuff? Was no, no. I was not. Uh, I was not there long enough to be brought into the commercial
0: group of people. It was basically a. I did seasonal work, and this was the off season job I picked up selling oh, okay. furniture. Gotcha. Um. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was retail plus commission, so it was better than working at the mall,
1: but only marginally so. <laughs> Uh, I remember having jobs like that too. Um, so we had John Goodman as Gale and then his brother, Evel was played by William Forsyth. Now John Goodman shows up in a lot of Coen brothers movies and I, anything John Goodman's in, I'm happy for. Like I saw coyote ugly in the theater largely because John Goodman was in it and I saw him in the trailers. Um, There's, he, didn't he play the dad that he yes, was on screen for like 90 seconds? Oh no, he's, he's a major plot point. Eva, okay. If I remember correctly, but you're, you know he's not in the movie a ton, but he's in it. All right. Um, but I just I just like him. I love his presence. This would this would have been eighty seven. So I think Roseanne maybe had started by then. If not, it was fairly fairly soon after this. But he was again. Uh, he's a Coen Brothers caricature. Is kind of the way that I look at at people in these movies. These characters. They're they're hyper realized. Like he's. You know Walter Sobchak when he's uh in the Big Lebowski is that same type of thing where it's like this this caricature of a person instead of just a normal person, and the Cohen brothers do that a lot so you got this here where he's I would say what probably forty percent of his dialogue is just him screaming, mm-hmm. whether it's in the car yep. or when he gets born out of the mud or during the fight, but seeing him in this i i had I knew William Forsyth played his brother. I always forget how baby-faced he looks in this movie, because are you you're familiar with William Forsyth at all? You, you know him from later movies where he's got this rough, gruff, gravelly voice, and he's looked like he's you know in his mid forties forever. And in this, he's got like that the puffy cheruby cheeks, and he just looks like a little baby.
0: Well, and even Goodman, like my first note that I took on the whole movie was, is that baby John Goodman there <laughs> in the in the prison he looks he is so young in here and i think part of it is you know the wonder of him having such a long standing career yeah i think of him as modern day john goodman because i've seen
1: him in a new thing in the last year i think mhm oh yeah. yeah yeah but he's you know he's just he's such a, a fun commanding presence to see in anything whether it's Big Lebowski, whether I, I watched a lot of Roseanne growing up. Um, so I remember him as Dan Connor a lot. But I see him show up in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? and other Coen Brothers movies. You see him in, uh, what was the uh, one? Cloverfield 13 or something. Um, the sequel to Cloverfield. I can't remember the right. name of it now. Uh, but just anytime he pops up, even if it's something small like a cameo, I just love seeing him there. 10 Cloverfield Lane, that's what it was called. There's something about him as, like, he can play. Uh, he can play straight or comedy so well that you're never quite sure what you're getting with him. You don't know if it's going to be a comedy role like this, but then you know he'll have a moment where he almost looks menacing at times. Plus, those sideburns he had were insane. Like, whose were better though? His or Nick Cage's? That's my question because it's it's hard for me to say really. For me, the sideburns
0: go with the. Gooped hair like like the sideburns in the hair were a matching set my dad looked like that at some point in time and probably the like late 70s early 80s so i think of that as like that that right there is a piece so I, that's what i would go with like that okay. the sideburns i mean cage's hair really upstaged his sideburns
1: frankly that's true and half the time it covered his sideburns so But uh, yeah, I I just, I liked those two. The the funny thing is the whole thing where they're driving along in the car when they realize the baby's not in there and they just start screaming and like he's punching the dashboard and he's punching the ceiling in the car and all that. My friend and I used to do that all the time. Just randomly, we'd be driving somewhere and we'd just start to yell and he'd start punching the ceiling and like, so that always get a kick out of that. Um, But I loved how they were just kind of, they were dumb. Like, but they had an interesting idea and then they get flustered so quickly and somehow mess it up. But Evel for being, uh, my guess is the younger brother of the two, he was the one that usually actually kept things moving, you know, in their heists. And he was always telling people to lay down on the floor and count and, mm. you know, you, you know, stay there for 10 minutes and I'll come back to you in five and check that, always, that, that one cracked me up. Um, but, yeah, I just like those two. They were a fun little foil for Nick Cage and sort of, again, they don't really – there isn't a plot so much to move along, but they're they're there to serve kind of moving the story forward, especially when they realize who the baby is when they overhear Glenn uh, and decide they're going to go that route and get the reward money for the baby. Yeah. Then they end up falling well, in love know, with the baby. and Sure.
0: <laughs> um, it's You made me think about this, and one of the things I put down – was the Cohen brothers are really good at sort of a gang of whimsical outlaws? yes, right the lebowski oh brother were out Thou? um I was thinking, uh I don't know, the lady um,
1: Killers was one,
0: yeah, I was trying to remember if uh it's funny as I look through things um Fargo the movie i it has been. It's probably been almost 20 years since I've seen that. It's like I can't recall. Even what, that, uh, you have
1: that because, like, the way William H. Macy plays uh, Jerry Lundergard, and then you've got, you know, Frances McDormand who is in this movie too. Uh, this was an early collaboration. I think, mm-hmm. I can't remember if this was the first or second time. And she is only in the movie for essentially one scene, but it's a pretty funny scene. Right. Uh, just her just gushing over the baby. And like, well, again, that kind of caricature, she's taking that, that, that feel that kind of almost Minnesota, Midwestern mom and like just it's amped up so far. Well, and, and the one
0: thing that one scene with her gave me one of the quotes that I took away from this and that um, it was called back to later about,
1: does he need his dip tech? Yeah. Yep. His dip tech. That that cracked me up when uh, when Evils asks that. It's like how the hell did he know about that? He, you yeah. wouldn't think he would have any clue. Uh, but yeah, that one cracked me up. You had uh, so. Oh, go ahead. I was
0: going to say, well, that's a great, uh, that's a great comedy bit, right? Oh, like totally. The idiot who suddenly knows
1: one thing, <laughs> really important. Yes. For no yep. reason whatsoever. I did like the running gag of uh, the Doctor Spock book. Keep, kept oh eating, yeah, like everybody that had the baby also had the book. That was a that was a fun one. Uh, what is it? High says when he gets in the car, "Here's the instructions," and just puts that mm-hmm. book down. <laughs> um, yeah, Frances McNorman. This was again; she is not in the movie for very long, but uh, early in in her career, um, and I like her. She's always fun to see in something. Um, she's another one though that I have seen recently, and I cannot remember what it was. Where three billboards? Uh, she I haven't seen that yet, and I need to. Okay, I'm um, she wasn't. In, oh, interesting. She was the narrator in Good Omens. Yes, that's right. That's right. But there was something she was in where she was playing like the not a, not the bad guy, but she was. I want to say something to do with the the government, and maybe mm. it was, uh, you know what it might have been? I hate to say this, but it might have been Transformers, Dark of the Moon. <laughs> I remember. It's like the one thing I remember is, or two things I remember about that movie was her and Leonard Nimoy voicing one of the the Transformers. Okay, that's excellent. <laughs> um, I do want to talk about Randall Tex Cobb, who played Leonard Smalls. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, first of all, one of my notes I had down here was that dude belongs in the Mount Rushmore of intimidating presences because yes, what can we nominate the other three right now? Um, the guy that plays Machete, um, what's his name? Oh, Danny Trejo. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I can, um, I can see that. Uh, I'm going to throw Sam Elliott up there because he can be very intimidating. It's the mustache, right? It's that big walrusy mustache. He's always got. But right. that in his voice, like if he, if he got angry with you, you would know it and you would, you would apologize even if you didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Danny sure, Trejo, That's right. a good one.
0: It's funny. I think of Sam Elliott and I think of him as some cross between, um, yeah, I, it's I think of him as the guy from Parks and Rec more like the, the vegan peacenick, um, or the guy from Roadhouse.
1: But yeah. yeah, he always, he's like intimidation, but for good. Yes. Um. Yeah, he's the kindly uh, intimidating one. Uh, right. Danny Trejo uh, is great. Danny Trejo in real life is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet, too. He seems like it. Like um, it's just it's a it's crazy to see some like interviews with him, and you hear stories about uh, like just the way he interacts with people, and he's just this like sweet dude. But yeah, he just looks like harder than a coffin nail. I mean, he's got that look about him. Plus, he's got that huge tattoo on his chest. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Who's who's the fourth guy, though? Who's the fourth one? Huh. They're an intimidating presence. Um, hmm. You know, so we've got Randall Tex Cobb, and that one's a good one, and I've got some fun stories to tell about him here in a minute. Nice. Uh, Danny Trejo. I'm, I'm, I'm voting for Sam Elliott. Uh, and then yeah. I think, you know, I almost want to go Harrison Ford just because he likes to point at people a lot. And like literally point at them. And again, it's sort of the thing of like you know that he's upset with you and you're you you immediately want to apologize. Like he's pointing at you and you know you've done you've done something wrong, even if you have again, even if you haven't. He's just got that look, that stern look. Although knowing what he's like in real life, he's just high. So <laughs> yeah i mean the thing for me with harrison ford i was
0: my first thought was it's got to be a character actor like harrison ford and, and part of it, i think is someone like harrison ford he's done too many like romantic fun
1: whimsical characters to make me really look at him and go "Ooh, you're scary um uh, uh you know who i'm thinking of hold on let me find him i gotta find his name um, um go ahead and if you got go ahead and talk about more
0: um yeah I'm trying to think of yeah intimidating uh, well and I think one of the things too is in more recent movies you're less likely to find a sort of nameless character that's just there to be mean and grizzled looking right that feels like more of a trope from the 80s and maybe the
1: 90s um, yeah because sort of, uh, who like early early movies that Vinny Jones would be in He would be that type of character, right? Like, um, did you ever see the remake of Gone in 60 Seconds with Nicolas Cage? Yes, I did. And Vinny Jones was in that as basically a mute character for most of the movie. He's Sphinx. Oh, right. And then he talks at the end and they make fun of his accent. Because they're like, I thought you were from Long Beach. But like that type of character. Who I was trying to look up, though, is um, the name, his name is Michael Berryman. Uh, And you would have seen him in Weird Science. He shows up at the end as the mutant biker. Um, he was in the Hills Have Eyes. He's got he's bald, and he's just got a look about him that is intimidating. It, yep, yep. You know, I know, you know exactly who about. you're
0: talking about. I, you know what's funny is I'm thinking uh, I pictured him a little bit in my head, and I can't remember who played
1: the Kurgan in Highlander. Oh, Clancy um, Brown. Ooh, that's a good one. Because yeah. That, Plus, he's got like like Tex Cobb. He's got the size too. Clancy Brown is that same kind of six two, six three height, like imposing yeah. figure. Man, I can't believe um, I didn't think of him. That's a good choice. Yeah,
0: and like, and I think part of it too, it's got to be sort of iconic imprinting because the people that are coming to mind are people who were in movies without a lot of dialogue. Like, I'm picturing them like, um, and when I was very young. Yeah. <laughs> so I wonder I I want to now I want to find someone who's you know 22 and ask
1: them they're intimidating Mount Rushmore. Um oh yeah cuz it's definitely going to be different for sure. Cuz yeah. I mean Tex Cobb, Randall, Randall Tex Cobb doesn't really do a whole lot anymore. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um so a couple of stories about him that I found interesting. One was Joel Cohen talking about him being on the movie um and saying Oh, what did he say? Something to do with um, casting him. Like he was difficult to work with and he was more a force of nature than he was an actor. And I think Hmm. the way he put it was, I wouldn't be running uh, out of my way to cast him again. Not that it was like bad working with him. He's just, he is who he is. So he, Randall, Randall Cobb was a kickboxer and then a professional boxer before he got into acting. Which, if you watch this movie, you can hear that in his voice, right? Like he's had his nose right, broken and I, who knows how many times. And he pulled off
0: that uh, a legitimate roundhouse
1: and yeah. the fight scene too. Oh, yeah. But the story, uh, one of the more famous stories involving him was he was in a, uh, a heavyweight title bout with, uh, I think it was, I want to say it was Larry Holmes, but it might have been somebody else in the late 70s. And it was a 15-round fight. He got it was incredibly one-sided. He just got the tar beat out of him, and it was really bloody. And he got cut up a few times. And it was it was so one-sided and so bad that Howard Cosell, after the fight, said, "That's it. I'm not calling any more boxing matches." Oh wow! He he, he basically retired himself from boxing, uh, because of that fight. And I think the quote from from Cobb was like, "Oh, maybe if uh, if." If that'll get him from doing boxing, maybe I'll suit up for the NFL next week. <laughs> and and that was the thing like he apparently when he would box, he had they they called him having a cast iron jaw. Like no, he got knocked out I think once in 50 something fights. Mm-hmm. And he was just this guy that could just take a pounding. And uh when when someone asked him if he wanted to have a rematch after that one-sided fight, he said, "I don't know if the other guy's hands could take it." Wow. You know that's just who he was. Now I remember him from this, and I remember him from a small role. He had an Ace Ventura pet detective. He's like he's in it for like thirty seconds, um, but he's just he's not a, a presence that you forget much. And in this movie especially, he just intimidating is the the right word for it. He's just scary, and he's covered in grease and dirt, and mm-hmm. uh, I did and grenades. Yes, covered in grenades,
0: <laughs> which when he was introduced into the movie and the like the close ups, Nicolas Cage is talking about this horrible dream he has and they show the baby shoes on his hip and the guns on his back and the tattoo and the grenades across his bandolier. And I thought, wow, this is a frightening vision. I thought Nicholas Cage was, you know, having a vision of what would happen to his child if he raised him wrong. <laughs> and then when he walks into the furniture store with grenades and baby (laughs) shoes and guns. I was like, Oh no, he's real. He's real.
1: This movie is not take place in the real world. No, not at all. Um, yeah, when he talks, you can tell he was a boxer. Like he, he, he sounds like his nose has been broken. Who knows how many times, which kind of throws you off a little because it's a little tough to listen to. He just has that real, like, Mm -hmm. I I can't even like mimic the sound without having my own nose broken, which I've done. Um, (laughs) But he goes out in the best way, too, because it, it's completely accidental that high grabs the mm-hmm. pin off of one of his grenades. Uh, yeah, he. So the other thing was he apparently didn't know how to ride a motorcycle before this movie. Oh, OK. So, you know, there's a lot. Uh, and the, sh- the shot where he came up on the the hole that John Goodman's character, Gail had come out of. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess there were outtakes of that where he just like put the bike right in the hole because he couldn't stop. So I think it's funny that you cast somebody that big and that intimidating, and he's got to ride a Harley, and then he doesn't know how. Uh, so I thought that was funny. Um, yeah, he stopped acting in two thousand one, and apparently he graduated from was it Temple? I think like two thousand eight magna cum laude, in uh, oh that's interesting in something. So you know he had a he had a career for a little while, and then he just sort of walked away from it. So. Yeah, I like him. I, I I always enjoyed seeing him when he'd pop up in something. He was uh, he'll be in an episode of Highlander, the series I am going to be watching coming up uh, sometime soon. Uh, he did a an episode of the X Files, and he you know he always played kind of the same type of character. He was going to be a big intimidating uh, physical presence, but that's what he was, and he knew that, so you know, mm-hmm. lean into it. Right? So something I noticed right at
0: the end there, um, you mentioned when he got the grenade blown up. Did he have so Leonard Smalls and High had the same Woody Woodpecker tattoo? Yeah, and I don't know what the significance was of that. It was—I I, I thought that was going to get called out somehow. Like it was going to be some sort of connection. Like, oh look, our moms are both named Martha, or something like that. <laughs> and I was, we're just going to zilly. And I think this might be—I haven't thought about it too much but I feel like this could be a Coen brother thing where there's stuff like that scattered around where you just zip bypass that other people would call out and make a big deal of could be
1: um, could Um be. yeah because uh, that was definitely I noticed it uh again I mean I've seen this movie a few times but it's been a few years so I'd forgotten that he had the same tattoo as him and you're right mm-hmm. I had kind of the same thought like oh, does he I can't remember does he call out no 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 he just gets blown up <laughs> Um, his, what an introduction for his character though, in that dream where he's just hauling down that desert road and he's, he blows up the bunny with the grenade and he's shooting the right. the, the lizard. Like it's just this. And what's funny about that is in the world that this movie takes place, even though it's a dream of highs, like that could have just been any day of the week with the way this movie was sure. about uh, gun violence, especially, I mean, just people shooting guns everywhere. By the way, that cop in the chase scene that we mentioned earlier, um, he had a revolver, and I don't know how many rounds he fired out of that thing, but he never once had to reload. Right? Yeah. It was. I noticed that too. I noticed,
0: and just the there was a diversity of guns. Like he had a revolver. The convenience store guy had like a magnum. Yeah. uh, Like the um, uh, Arizona Nathan Arizona had. Like an old school cowboy gunslinger gun. Yeah, when they walked into his house, like it was this just weird diversity of pistols mm-hmm. showing up. And, right, because High had the little snub nose pistol. Um, it was it was really strange seeing all the guns. Because um, now I think you're way more likely now if there are guns in a movie, it's all like
1: SWAT tactical gear. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. No. This one. This definitely was like uh we're just gonna have guns in here we don't really care like if they would make sense in the situation we're just gonna have whatever looks best or probably well like yeah say, we're gonna have guns that are artistically aligned with the characters that mm-hmm. have them yes exactly um one other actor i want to mention because uh we've kind of gone through two things one there were about 15 babies used for the five mm-hmm. arizona ch- children um you could tell that some of those babies were way older than they were supposed to be. And I guess there was even a couple of them that got, uh, like fired off the set because they started walking and they weren't (laughs) supposed to be able to walk yet. Uh, so I, I thought that was interesting. Um, but the other one I wanted to mention was there's, he's only in two shots and it's both times high is at his job running a drill press. And it's his like foreman, M Emmett Walsh, who, uh, I know mostly from, um, Blade Runner and uh I just recently saw him in uh Knives Out he had a small part in Knives Out as well um and what's funny is in Knives Out he looks only a little bit older than he did in this movie and because he's just he's looked old forever um but he was great he has uh he's literally two lines in the entirety of this movie um but because it's MM at Walsh I just I know who it is and gotta call it out because I like him. He's another one of those character actors that pops up in something. and It's like, Oh, he's great. Yeah. And he, I mean, he's sung in his two little, I
0: mean, not literally sang, but his character left out in those two scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and another great bit of writing, the stories he's telling in those two different scenes are somehow connected to each other in that weird tangent of the one character. Yeah. Um, so he felt like a complete little bow tie in there.
1: Uh-huh. Absolutely. Um, okay, so the Coen brothers are known for using a lot of the same uh, actors and a lot of the same crew. Like you see, um, especially, and I, I have to look and see when they started working with Roger Deakins but as their director of photography. It wasn't this movie, though. Um, this movie was actually dir- the director of photography was Barry Sonnenfeld, who went on to do Adam's Family. And Men in Black, and some of those movies, uh, but he was the DP for this, and so I kind of see that uh, when I real when I found out that that's who it was, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, because if you remember, uh, Adam's Family and Adam's Family Values had a lot of those same kind of extreme camera type work. They did, um, yeah. And even Men in Black would do that occasionally. Uh, he also did Big Trouble. Um, unfortunately, he did Wild Wild West, which I hate. I just uh, but it has a mechanical spider in it. Oh, don't get me started on that movie. It's one of the only <laughs> times I ever wanted to walk out of a theater. I stuck it out, but I was close. Um, yeah, they started working with, I can't remember when they started working with Deacons. Might have been Fargo. Because uh, they did a couple movies after this prior to Fargo, and that's really what put them on the map um, in terms of like a wide audience. So uh, how familiar are you with or how big of a fan are you of Coen Brothers movies? You know, I went back and did an inventory after watching this because it made me want to
0: see more Coen Brothers, and I knew I liked them, and I knew I'd seen stuff, and I, so I went through um, Hud Sucker Proxy. I, uh, I know it, love it. Oh brother, where out thou is a? Oh brother, where out, art thou? I'm still annoyed that they didn't make a musical out of it. I'm a huge bluegrass fan, and so I mean, that song, that movie. Is just spectacular and and just great. Um, uh, oh, Bad Santa! Crap, I didn't realize Bad Santa was theirs. That's uh, start.
1: I think they produced that.
0: Uh, yeah. am I looking? At the, I'm looking at Joel Cohen here. Yeah, uh, but let's see. Let's that's, see. that's under, under producer. producer, right? Producer. Yeah. Okay, that. Let me go. Let me look at the director credits. That'll be better. Um, uh, Hudsucker, uh, where are there? um Intolerable Cruelty. I remember kind of. Oddly. Like, um, but so other things, um, Hail Caesar. I really enjoyed hell Caesar too. Um, but one of the things i found is there's some of their classics that I've just I have not seen Lebowski yet. Like yeah. I, and I feel like people want to would be legitimately take away my nerd card because like I just that that never it never jumped to me. Um Fargo, I can't remember. Like I remember seeing it. Uh, but I didn't go to the, I didn't see it in the theater. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I only vaguely recall bits and pieces of it. Um, and I'm trying to, what's the other one that's a big one that, but after reading, I've only seen, like, I've caught bits and pieces I haven't sat and watched through. Um, and so I, I feel like a, like a, what's the right word? I feel like an incomplete fan. Like, I I like them, I find their stuff enjoyable, and I'm embarrassed to describe the ones that I haven't actually
1: seen through completion. The The interesting thing with the Coen brothers is it's, like, film fans love the Coen brothers, and I think sometimes general audiences just don't quite latch on to the quirkiness of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they'll do something quirky like this or, Oh brother or the big Lebowski. But these are the same guys that also wrote and directed no country for old men. Right. You know, uh, they can do something like burn after reading and then turn around and do true grit two years later. So they're, they're very, uh, they're varied in what they put out, but they seem to like put everything into what they do and, and prolifically, I mean, they're putting stuff out every year or two. And very few of their movies I would say are out and out bad. Um, The lady killers wasn't well reviewed, but I don't think it's as bad as some people say. It's just, this was coming off of uh, you know, a string of some pretty good ones. And then they do, you know, they'll do something that just doesn't quite hit like a serious man. um, I don't think is a bad movie, but I don't think it was what people thought it was going to be. And that's, that's what's, Tough when you have such a varied catalog, when you can do something on, on both extremes, you don't know what you're getting. So you, you like expectations. I think a lot of times outshine the movie, and you go into something like the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, uh, got really really great reviews, and everybody that I've talked to has loved it. Um, but the few people that haven't, that I think they were going into it with a different mindset. So. I put this high on my love of uh Coen brothers films, but there are definitely, I have holes in my fandom of their stuff too. Like I didn't see true grit until this year mm-hmm. and it's 10 years old. Um, I was going to say, what was the, the original is what?
0: Uh,
1: the original I, I was think, 1969. The original true grit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the original so was 69, before... uh, and that one was 2010. Mm-hmm. Cause I'd seen the original true grit. Um, but I just hadn't seen the the remake. Um, but, you know, Hudsucker Proxy, Fargo, uh, I love those movies. Miller's Crossing is a good one. Um, I haven't seen Barton Fink, but that's got John Turturro, So I should do that at some point. I remember seeing No Country for Old Men in the theater, and I was blown away by that movie. I mean, that's just, there's just something about that that's like next level. And it, it deserves the accolades and the Oscars that it got. But in terms of like favorites, I put this high on the list. No pun intended, because it's fun, because it's it's so absurd and it's so out there. That's what I like about it. I love that kind of stuff. Uh, so it fits right in there with Big Lebowski, with Oh Brother, um, even Fargo to an extent, which is a darker comedy, but it's still kind of got that farcical comedy stuff to it. So, yeah, I just I really enjoy this movie. It's got the right mixture of zaniness and. I don't know, there's like a heart to it. I mean, High and Ed just want a child, especially Ed. She just wants a child so bad that even though she yeah. was a police officer, she's willing to break the law to steal a child because they got more than they can handle. That's another Coen Brothers thing is having that that kind of absurd line like, well, they got more than they can handle, and then repeating that over and over. Um, Big Lebowski, I think it was, her life is in your hands. Um, you When you see that, you'll know. Uh, Oh Brother has the same one. Um, what is it? Uh, there's a few of them and Holly Hunter in that has that, you know, I've counted to three, I've said my piece. Um, but yeah, it just, there's, there's like a heart to this movie that I think makes it better than it probably has any reason to be based on just from a storytelling standpoint. It's, you know, it's not the most cohesive narrative, but it doesn't need to be. And I think that's what makes it work. Plus, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> it is. It is. And I think I,
0: you pulled it too. Um, it's fun. It, it's a fun. I mean, just the the different, the robbery, the fight scene, the um, the chase scene. Uh, I'm looking at my notes, and there are two things that just jumped out of me that we hadn't covered. One is thinking about High as being sort of a, a an essential Cohen protagonist, which mm. is true to me. Um, the oh, other yeah. is very specific here: the baby showed up, and I know 80s movies, and I put a note to myself: when's the first diaper joke going to happen? Yeah, yeah, and it, I mean, and I meant like poopy diaper joke, not. Mm-hmm. They, oh, I didn't yeah. count the whole running gag of the diapers in the in the in the robbery. It took an hour into a 90 minute movie before they made a poopy diaper joke. Yeah. Which which is amazing. It's it was a great sort of a great restraint in how that worked out. Like I really appreciate them. Like, oh, we're not going to go we're not going lowbrow. We're going sort of earbrow. Like we're going to like, we're gonna yeah. completely We'll go middle. Take by. the comedy into a different direction. <laughs> um But it's uh I'm Trying now, to think if there's anything else. I don't. I think. I don't think there's anything else for me I, that I have to say, except it was totally fun. I would ha- tell people to watch it. I might tell people to
1: imbibe something beforehand to make it more enjoyable. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> you know um, it, it, it's yeah. interesting to me that we never saw Nicolas Cage work with the Cohen brothers again um, that hmm. I can recall now I did read that uh, the relationship between the Coens and Nicolas Cage was respectful but turbulent is the way it's uh, put out because look Nick Cage has ideas right he's an actor but he's also um, done some writing and producing and all that so he and he likes to ad-lib so I think And then you have Joel and Ethan Cohen, who are very much like we have a vision. This is what it's going to be. So there was some clashing of heads there. But I think overall, I liked the quote from Joel Cohen, which was, it was a lot of fun working with Nick. Um, And even though they clashed a little bit, they would much prefer working with somebody like Nick Cage, who possessed a quote unquote, fertile imagination over someone whose performance needed to be Mm kickstarted. So I think it's interesting that they never worked together again because you could have uh huh. he he can play that type of character so well and i think he could have fit in yeah. like i could see him uh i couldn't see him being the dude but you could see him slotting into a few different kind of roles even side roles or small you know si- side characters in some of the coen brothers stuff and it just surprised me that that never happened again right it's not like nick cage doesn't work in any movie that asks him essentially yeah. no, <laughs> anymore that's true um so I have a few clips I want to play because there are some quotable lines in this movie. Um, the There's a lot of voiceover to start. And uh, it's all like the first 11, 11 minutes before the title card is a lot of voiceover from Nick Cage. But this was the one line that uh, probably made me chuckle the most in all of that.
0: A future that was only 8 to 14 months away.
1: I just always like when when you get that that joke. Yep, it's only 8 to 14 months away. <laughs> um, this was the... I've never heard this word pronounced this way before. Maybe you have, I don't know. But this was uh, Ed. My fiance left me. My fiance left me. Is that a southern thing? Or uh, I don't know. I've,
0: I've never heard it before either, but it was
1: <laughs> one of those...
0: Like, it is kind of one of those easy... To see mispronunciations that qualifies your character as not quite sophisticated enough to know how to say it properly, yeah, but
1: also endearing enough so you don't care. True. Um, I had I always get any kind of weird uh, like sounds or affectations or anything. And this one, this was during the group therapy thing. This guy just cracked me up. Huh? When they were asking him why he felt like a, a woman trapped in a man's body, and just mm-hmm. huh. That super deep voice. Um, Oh, so the chase scene where he leaves the convenience store. He's running down the street. He's got the the huggies in one hand and the bag of money in the other hand, and he ends up dropping them both. The old man driving the pickup truck, that cracked me up because it's so crazy. Like, all that guy did was scream and apparently not be able to stop his truck. (laughs) So anytime anything was in front of him, he would just yell and look straight ahead. Uh, High has to save him twice from hitting the uh, the store clerk and the cop car. He hits High, and then when High opens up the door, he just looks at him and says,
0: Son, you got a panty on your head.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so oh. I now have that forever. Um, oh, okay. Uh, here's the one line from M.M. at Walsh that I had to get.
0: No, not that mother scratcher.
1: I like any you you have to because um, I think they they dropped one f bomb in the entire movie, and it was from Emmett Walsh. And then and then like right after that, or either because that was either right before, or right after he said "Mother Scratcher." So, I thought I thought that was funny. Um, hmm. Here's the Francis McDormand line. Uh, maybe this is the one you were thinking of. You got to get him dip tet boosters yearly, or else he'll develop lockjaw and night vision. Lockjaw and night vision.
0: <laughs> I remember
1: <laughs> absolutely bonkers I had to when I was capturing audio I had to rewind that a couple times like did she say what I think she did she say night vision it took me a while um, oh <laughs> this is uh, this is Ed that's all I'm going to say this is Ed
0: I love him so much I know you do
1: oh that, that kind of stuff just cracks me up um, and then this was her again later on. And this is, uh, this is a total Southern thing saying it this way.
0: That's all, bitch.
1: <laughs> uh, that was great. Oh, um, the old man at the, uh, the hayseed bank at the end when they, when the brothers go in and they say, freeze, everybody get on the floor and they all just stand there staring right. at him. And then the old guy, and I just loved him.
0: You want ice it freeze or get down on the ground?
1: And then, and I, I kept this, and I don't know where I'm gonna use it, but I'm gonna to totally use it, probably anytime I have to agree with somebody, and it's just
0: okay, then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that old guy. Um, this was the line, so I mentioned at the beginning uh that I thought that um what's his name Trey Wilson was the guy in city slickers, right that that sort of owned the the cattle farm or whatever. This is what made me think that. Tell me this doesn't sound like the same guy. Chairs, you got a dinette set. No chairs, you got dick. Like It sounds like the same guy. And it apparently isn't. So either that or it was in the universe that I'm from. And I've crossed over somewhere and have a total Mandela effect going on. I don't know. Um, oh, and of hmm. course, I have to uh, capture anytime anybody laughs. Because fake laughs, I don't know what it is about them. But. There's two in this. This one was Glenn when he's trying to tell his uh, Polish joke. And it's just bad. But this laugh was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> like, that one's bad. And then you got William Forsyth laughing like this when... Uh, I I'm trying to remember what he said at this point. This is when they first ran into him, like, the night they brought the baby home. And it was So now I've got both of those. Uh, (laughs) Some of the better laughs, really, that we've had. Um, Oh, okay. Here's a good one. Uh, The parole board. So the whole beginning of the movie, High ends up in and out of jail like three different times, and you see him in front of that same parole board of three people. But this exchange killed me. You're not just telling us what we want to hear. No, sir, no
0: way. Because
1: we just want to hear the truth.
0: Well, then I guess I am telling
1: you what you want to hear. Boy, didn't we just tell you not to do that? Yes, sir. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I mean. Oh, and then Glenn. Okay, can we talk about Glenn for a second? I hated that character. He just, like, I know what he was there for. He was the husband of Francis McDormand, the one that runs into the, the tree and gets his nose broken. Mm-hmm. Right. But he, I just, oh, he, he annoyed the hell out of me. Um, and I know he was supposed to. But he had a way of delivering all his lines like a stream of consciousness. And there was this one. Maybe she can do something
0: for me and Dot. See there's something wrong with my semen. Say that reminds me. What you gonna name it? <laughs>
1: like, whoa, slow down. I need to like there's a lot in that sentence there that I gotta deal with. <laughs> but that was him throughout the whole movie. So the fact that he ran into a, a cactus or a tree and broke his nose, uh I was fine with that. And then when he shows up later and he's like He's still trying to act all big and tough, like, well, why don't you make me? Well, he's wearing the neck brace and he's got the um, stuff stuffed in his nose. He was, I mean, it was,
0: again, an absurd thing. Like, like, absurd, weird. All of a sudden, hey, by the way, what I'm trying to say is we're swingers. Um, <laughs> yeah. That whole conversation, first of all, like it, because it's, what, 20 plus years later. Totally knew what was happening the moment he started into that conversation. Mm-hmm. And watching Nick Cage's character, watching High
1: be like, What
0: are you talking? I don't yeah. understand. What um. is he slow? And then, <laughs> ah. he,
1: then he slowly figures it out, too. I think it was even better.
0: That reminds me another thing. I don't understand. I don't know why it happened. High started that conversation wearing flip flops and carrying <laughs> white shoes. Yeah, because then they, he put on the white shoes and then he punched a man and then he left his flip flops in the desert.
1: And there was a point, but, all, but there's they made no a, more to that story. No, there isn't. But they made a point of showing him putting those white shoes on before they the, their friends showed up. And yes. then later on, he's wearing the flip flops or no, like, yeah, that's. And it's not it's not even brought up. Like nobody mentions it at all. He he doesn't mention why are you changing white your shoes?
0: shoes? Are all dirty and nasty after the chase and he's taking them off and holding them in his hand again? Yep. I'm just
1: I don't I wanna know about the shoes. <laughs> Where did they come from? Why did he have them in the first place? Yeah. Did he really like the shoes or did he not? Because it seems like he liked them. He went through a lot to keep them. Is it
0: a good idea to wear flip flops wandering around in the desert next to cacti? No. Like
1: No, there's cactus and scorpions out there. Uh-uh.
0: Yeah. Um yeah, I had forgotten all about that until you brought brought them up. Brought up that scene. Like this, this. I'm just
1: baffled by the shoe situation. <laughs> I have one more here. I don't know what this one is. It just says pants on, so let's see without my say so they wouldn't piss with their pants on fire oh there's another another one from uh trey wilson uh when the so that that scene where he's being questioned by the fbi and the police and the you know the the cop comes in and he's like trying to talk talk to him and the fbi are there for some reason and uh they ask him if it could have been a disgruntled employee and he says this without my say so they wouldn't piss with their pants on fire with their pants on fire that's that again was that type of thing. Like Trey Wilson would do those little one-liners and he had that Houston accent. And that's why I thought it was the guy from noble Willingham. Mm-hmm. So he, cause he did a lot of the same stuff. So, yep. Uh, those are clips from that movie. So many, and there were, there were more I could have gotten. Plus the music, just that kind of like yodeling song, that theme song that kept playing. And then yep. when he's running through the supermarket, it's playing on the speakers in the supermarket. Um, it was just that was fun stuff I, I love I love Cohen Brothers movies for those kind of weird things where they'll have like the theme song to this just doesn't even feel like it belongs but it works so well and then you switch around you look at something like No Country for Old Men where they just don't put any music in the entire movie so just they're good and this, this for me is one of my favorites of theirs I have seen this on a big screen so I, I can't Ooh. say that a, uh, our local theater many years ago did a, an all-day cohen brothers marathon where they played this and i think it was this oh brother big lebowski and no country for old men and it was like twenty dollars for a ticket and you just got to go to all four of them so i love i love that um but yeah so yeah that's raising arizona it's a it's a good movie if you haven't seen it yet you need to see it and there's no there's nothing to spoil in it so you don't have to worry about that like I could tell you everything about this movie and it's not going to change one bit watching it. It's 90 minutes. It's not a huge commitment. It's a it's a short evening. Yeah. No, I I oh. I I totally recommend this one. Especially if you if you're a Nick Cage fan, you get some of that goofy Nick Cage, but you also get some decent acting from him. You get mm-hmm. the Coen Brothers quirkiness, you get to see John Goodman and baby-faced William Forsythe. That still blows my mind. Like, cause I just want, I want him to sound like he doesn't sound like he smoked, you know, three packs of cigarettes before he got on set, which he does now. I mean, every time you hear him now, it's just this gravel. I mean, sounds like he's chewing glass all the time, but yeah, he, he's, he's fun in this too. Um, you know, I like, I'll watch anything with John Goodman. So, so that's me. But yeah, that's raising Arizona. Now it's funny that you brought up both O Brother and Big Lebowski because my next two weeks are those two movies. Ooh, yeah, that's exciting. So I found people who have never seen either of them. Um, a friend of mine that had never seen O Brother, and he also does some make some music. So uh, I'm looking forward to talking to him about that because you want know, to talk about music in a movie. That's a great one. Um, oh, I yeah, loved, I have I that soundtrack. I love that soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I remember when the movie came out, and I think I bought the soundtrack because I enjo- I just enjoyed it that much. Um, and then uh, the week, so that'll be next week. My guests are going to be uh, Stephen and Jacob from Two Dorks Network. Uh, Stephen hosts Horseshoes and Hand Grenades, and Jacob is the producer. And they're going to come on. We're going to talk about Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? And then the following week, I have Miles from uh, The More You Nerd, He's going to come on. He's never seen The Big Lebowski. He admitted that to me when we were uh, when I went on their show to talk about Tron. And I said, you wait, you what? Hold on. And <laughs> it also gave me a, a good excuse using this movie for the Nicolas Cage month and it being a Coen Brothers movie. And I could easily kind of transition into doing a couple more Coen Brothers that I really have wanted to talk about for a while. So nice. uh, it kind of worked out. Uh, I've been trying to figure out a way to watch some of these Coen Brothers movies for the show and get some people, some more people, to see them. So I'm glad I got you to watch this one and and that you liked it. So that's always yeah. a good. thing. Well, and
0: I will uh, I will watch Lebowski in the next two weeks in, in solidarity. There you go,
1: perfect. Uh, well, Joe, I want to say thanks for coming on. What what projects or things have you got going on right now that you'd like to talk about? You know, so
0: two things. One uh, is kind of just send me some good vibes. I put my hat in the ring for another podcast competition. Um, and uh, that just went out. In fact, I was working on the trailer this afternoon. Um, I can't talk about it, um, but either I'll get it, which would be amazing, or um, I've done all the work to make the show ready so I can start making it for myself. And I'll know about that sometime late in the fall. Um, but something you can actually engage with right now, I just started given the thoughts I've been having about my past and about the world around us. I started recording letters, like actual handwritten letters. I found a bunch of letters that my uncle sent for holidays to family and letters from my mother to my grandmother and then letters of my own in cleaning out my mom's house. Um, so I've got a little project I'm working on. I'm calling it yesterday's letters. Uh, right now I'm getting people to send them to me and I'm putting them up on Instagram. You can find that at yes letters on Instagram. Um, and as I get more, I'm going to curate them together and, uh, and put them together in a podcast. Uh, I think, uh, I want to help people appreciate letters and the way they made us feel. So hopefully we can, you know, (laughs) value the post office and keep that around as an institution. Boy, that'd be a good thing, wouldn't (laughs) it?
1: That's cool. Uh, I remember you mentioning that in one of the discord chats that you were doing some Mm -hmm. stuff with letters. And I think that's really neat. I've, uh, that's something that I've kind of wanted to get back into is kind of almost like pen pals and start writing some, some letters to people. But yeah, that's, that's cool. I'm looking forward to that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, and actually, uh, and I'll say this: you can find that at yes letters on Instagram right now. And also, if anyone out there has a letter, and I am saying it's a it's a real letter, not an email, you print it out. Um, uh, you can send that picture of it and a recording of you reading it to letters at gmail dot. Yes letter, no s. Yes letter at gmail dot com, and um, I'll I'll put it up there. It's a it's going to be community driven.
1: Cool. Yeah, I'll have to um dig through my parents stuff and see if I can find some. I know I don't No, you know what? I might have a few actually. So I might have to look for see if there's anything worthy of uh putting up on the internet. I have to clear it with the other party, the other party first. Yes. Thankfully I'm still in contact with them, so well, Joe, this was fun. Thank you for coming on. I I had a blast, and it was great to rewatch this movie um, that I haven't seen in a few years, and then get to share it with you. So, I want to say it's thank you. Always a pleasure,
0: Travis. Thank you for uh, nudging me towards some cinematic goodness. This was way more pleasant than the first time with mm-hmm. um, with Mister River. <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah, good movie. Not a fun movie. New, new, <laughs> new, new, new. So yes, so uh, this time, this time we got fun. Yes and I I like and really right now that's what we need we need fun so uh, that's good well so as I mentioned next week is going to be Oh Brother Where Art Thou another Coen Brothers starring George Clooney John Turturro Um, John Goodman shows up in that one and my guest will be Steven and Jacob from the Two Dorks Network so until next week when we watch Oh Brother uh, get out enjoy your movies and be excellent to each other Oh, bullshit. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs>